Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. We are starting this series, started it last Sunday in the main service, Weeping for a Nation, Jeremiah the Weeping Prophet. We're going to look at a few more, try to finish off chapter 1 today. Do you ever wish... As you're turning there, think about this. Do you ever wish that God would fill you in on what your future will be like? (laughs) Exactly. I'm hearing yes, no, yes, no. Sometimes I think I would like that. And at other times, I think that's a horrible idea to know what's coming. Exactly. For example, it might be nice to know that if I'm going to die suddenly someday so that I could say goodbye to my family. But if God told me, son, you're going to die in a car accident within the year, <laughs> I would hate that. <laughs> or, uh, man, I'd never, I'd be driving a bike for that whole year, you know. God, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> this is one reason, this is just one of many reasons why it's so much better to leave the whole sovereignty thing to God. God wisely knows what to reveal to us and what to hold back from our knowledge. People look at the Bible and say, why doesn't he say this? Or why doesn't he say this? Well, (laughs) leave that to God, trust me. When it comes to God's will, typically, he'll unfold his will a little at a time, uh, day by day. And that's how really it's always worked. If you think, think about it, this is the manna principle, if you will. The, God's children were wandering through the wilderness and he gave them manna each and every day. But they could not store the manna for tomorrow. If they stored the manna in their tent because they were worried if God would provide it for tomorrow, God would let that manna rot. And uh, he would, the point was, you trust God for your provision tomorrow. You trust God for tomorrow. You trust him for today. Remember, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount reminded us, don't be anxious or don't be careful about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. And uh, we, we so want to know about what's coming in the future. But here's what we need to keep in mind. God always gives us all we need to trust him. God gives us all that we need to trust him. We have plenty of information to trust him for today. And tomorrow will be the exact same way. God doesn't lay out every detail, but he gives us his word that paints a very clear enough picture for, have to, for us to all to have something that the Bible calls faith. <laughs> we all can have enough faith to make it. Sometimes in scripture we see God doing something out of the ordinary, though. And he'll break his typical mold of uh, just daily unfolding his will in our life. And what he'll do is, what we see him do is paint a picture for a prophet of the future. He'll show them future events. And, but even then, when he would do that for these prophets, it's not every single detail. And so, just like us, when 
somebody like Jeremiah the prophet is going to uh, hear from God, he's going to have to live his life the exact same way all of us have, have to live our life. And that is one word of God at a time. We take God's word and we listen to it and we follow it. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how we live. Jeremiah would have to listen and then obey God. It's just like us. We listen, we read the word of God, and we follow that. That's what God wants us to do. Now today we're going to see the first few prophecies, the first few words from God that this young nervous prophet, Jeremiah, begins to hear. And really in these these, uh, prophecies, we see a summary of what the entire book of Jeremiah is about. So there's three vivid object lessons that warn and encourage. Here they are. Number one, it's the vision of the tree or the almond tree. And this is a sign that we're going to see that God's word is unstoppable. And here's what God shows to Jeremiah. Verse 11, chapter 1, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see a rod or a branch of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. So God speaks to Jeremiah and shows him a blossoming almond tree is what this is talking about. The blossoms are just starting to pop out on that branch. And this is something that Jeremiah was very familiar with, almond trees. Now, according to what I found, there are only five places on the entire globe, on the entire earth, that can grow almond trees. Israel is one of them. Anathoth, which is where Jeremiah was born and raised, which is right near Jerusalem, remains a center for almond trees to this very day. One of the other places in the world that grows almonds is the Central Valley of California, And you know that. And so the climate is perfect. It's just right for for almond trees. So most of us here sitting in this room have seen what Jeremiah has seen. Most of us can probably picture that in our minds, a blossoming almond tree. They're beautiful. Uh, Late January, early February, all of a sudden the bloom, the blossoms start coming. And then, man, that tree is just filled with white, beautiful blossoms. And this, of course, then, we, is the, one of the very first signs of spring. Spring is very close. Uh, spring is coming. And that's the idea here. That's the point of this v- object lesson to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, the fulfillment of God's word is about to come. It's very close. Just as no one can stop spring from coming, no one can stop God's promises from being fulfilled. And no one can stop God's warnings from being fulfilled as well. Now, God wasn't saying specifically that uh, his word would come to pass in the springtime. That's not what he was saying. But the point is that this is imminent. It's going to happen. The train is barreling down the tracks. God's word is going, and it's going to happen. And I'm sure, if you think about this, after this vision, he has this vision of the almond tree and God speaking to him about this uh, object lesson here. I bet you every spring then that he saw the almonds blossom that came about. He's, remember, this is a 40-year 
uh, ministry, and it took 40 years for this to come about. I'm sure Jeremiah was thinking every time, could this be the year? Could this be the year? Every time he sees that almond tree. And that's the kind of expectancy that God wanted Jeremiah to have in regards to his word. This could be the time. This could be the year. And oh, that's what I think God wants in our hearts as well. Now, there are two hidden lessons here I, wanna, I also want to point out. Number one is this, that God sleeplessly watches over his word to make sure that it will be fulfilled. Listen to this. So this verse, actually these verses here, contain a play on words that we don't see in the English, but it's there in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for almond tree is sehid, sehid, I think is how you say it. I will hasten, or uh, I will, as it says in verse 12, I will hasten my word to perform it, yes, is sohid. So almond tree is sehid, and uh, I will hasten is sohid. So, which literally means to watch, or to be awake, or to be alert. The consonants are identical. It's just the, the one vowel that changes the, the word. So here's how it would sound in Hebrew. God's question to Jeremiah is, what are you looking at, Jeremiah? And Jeremiah says, Sehid is what I'm looking at. And G in response, God says, Sohid is what I'm doing over my word to perform it. In other words, God, I am wide awake, I am alert, I am watching over my word every single day to make sure that it is fulfilled. Just like, a, just like an almond tree is going to blossom, it's the first sign of spring, I'm telling you right now, I'm, every day I'm sleeplessly watching over this word and I'm going to make it happen. You better be as confident as you are in anything else in the world that this is going to happen. And in Jeremiah's long ministry, Think about it, he was going to need that kind of reassurance. He would be taunted many times by people saying, where's the fulfillment, Jeremiah? You're saying all these things, where is it? Think about it, 40 years. So if you're 20 years old, when you first start hearing from Jeremiah, you'd be 60 years old before that actually happened, the things that he was talking about. Many would think in those 40 years, oh, this is never going to happen. Jeremiah keeps talking. But God is watching over his word. It will not fail. And what a lesson for us today. For those who ridicule and scorn the word of God and push it aside like it doesn't matter. Uh, you can do that all you want to, but God's watching over his word and it will come to pass. It will not fail. And the second lesson in this, these two verses also is this, that you have to see before you speak. You know, look what God asked Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, what do you see? And Jeremiah, he would he received the message and then he would speak that message out. But before he could speak, he had to see. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. Before you can make an impression upon another person's heart, you must have an impression upon your own soul. You must be able to say concerning the truth, I see it, before you can speak it so that other hearers also shall see it. This is why quality time spent in the word of God, the the, the moments that you wake up and open the word of God are so, so, so important because we have to see, we have to see it. We have to see the truth. We have to stay in the word so we, ah, yes, Lord, I see it. And sometimes you might even need to stay in that place where you're reading the word and, and praying until you see it. Then 
we'll be able to go out and help others see it. The father who sees it can pass it more effectively to his children. The mother who sees it can guide her little ones in the ways of God. The wife who sees it helps her husband become a man of God. The the husband who sees it better encourages his wife to become a woman of God. A worker who sees it impacts the whole entire company. A student who sees it is a powerful influence for Christ wherever he is or she is. I hope we see it. Jeremiah, what do you see? Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see it? So God uses an almond tree to show show that he is watching over his word. But what is the word? What is the message that Jeremiah would be giving to the people? And here is the overall summary. It came in a simple message of a boiling pot. Look at the, the next image is the image of a pot. And it's the sign that God's judgment is unescapable. Look at verse 13. And the word of the Lord came unto me the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north, an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. So God shows Jeremiah this boiling pot that is about to spill over from the north onto the south. And God's about to pour out this judgment that really he's been warning about ever since the times of Moses. If you do not walk in my ways, if you turn your heart from me, if you go after other gods, uh, there will be a judgment to pay. But only now, Jeremiah is honing it in and making it more specific. It's this judgment that God has been talking about all this time is about to happen and it's going to come from the north. Turns out that's going to be Babylon in 40 years from now. And what was interesting in that day is Jeremiah is beginning to speak this prophecy. This is the times of King Josiah. No one would have expected Babylon to be the one to do that. Because at the moment, he's speaking, Assyria is the great world power. They're strong. And they've already had battles with Babylon. They've already had battles with Egypt. It's Assyria, Babylon, and Egypt that are kind of jockeying for position. Assyria so far has uh, been the leader. And in fact, they took over Israel. But, but God knew exactly who it would be. And, and God is wise. He knows what's going on. This reminds me to be very careful about our predictions about the future and what's going to happen. Even when we read the word of God, we need to be very careful. Only say what God has said. You know, there's some people you listen to, it seems like they have everything figured out. You know, uh, China will do this, Russia will do this, this person is the Antichrist, and this is when Jesus will come, and, and all this kind of stuff. But you and I may think we know what God's going to do, and sure, the signs point to certain things, but all, we only know what God has said. Nothing more, nothing less. For lo, verse 15, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem and against all the walls thereof round about and against all the cities of Judah. So notice this foreign king is going to come in and set up his family throne right there at the entering of the gate of Jerusalem. He's going to set up shop. Now this was a common thing for the, a conquering nation to do. In fact, Listen to this. In the 1840s, 
There was a 28-year-old archaeologist. He was digging in Nineveh at the site of the palace of Sennacherib. Ancient Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. And he was digging in this site of the palace of Sennacherib, who was king back in 700 to 681 BC. As he was digging, he came across these carvings uh, on the wall of the palace. It took a couple years to fully expose them and get them all cleaned, but, but when they did, they realized that it was the pictures, it was huge wall, all, all, all in this palace. This piece, uh, w- there was a narration of the Assyrian victory over Judea. Uh, not too long before Jeremiah's time. And this is called the Lachish, or the Lachish relief, is how you say that. And it's in the British um, Museum. And one of the scenes that I'm showing you here, one scene depicts Sennacherib sitting at the gate of the city that he just conquered. He's assuming the reins of the government. Uh, He's taking over. I publicly letting everyone know here that I am now the new king. I'm laying out my laws for the country. Any laws that your country had are no longer valid. I am now in charge. I'm taking away all political power from anybody who had it before. And it was a sign of strength. I'm going to sit here right in the gates of the city, and I'm going to show off my great strength. And the single inscription, which identifies the location depicted in these reliefs, says this, Sennacherib, the mighty king, king of the country of Assyria, sitting on the throne of judgment before the city of Lachish. I give permission for its slaughter. So Jeremiah is basically saying that this very thing is going to happen in Jerusalem. The kingdom of Judah is going to lose all political power. They would be starved out. They would be brutalized. They would lose all their personal freedoms. The children would be hauled away as slaves, and a king and his, his family would, would set up shop right in the gates of Jerusalem. He is going to take over. Uh, some will remember, I've told this story before, but uh, many years ago, we, as a family, went to uh, a little thing called Journey in Bethlehem, Journey to Bethlehem in, in Modesto. And we took all our kids there, and it was a cute, neat little thing that they uh, this church put on, and they did very well. So it's outdoors, and you walk through all these depictions of what it would have been like to live back in the days of Jesus. But they went all out. So they had horse guys on horsebacks coming up with full Roman guard uh, outfits, and I mean, and they they wanted to treat you like you were a Jew from back in those days. And so the Romans, they would, as soon as you come out of the tent and you're just thinking you're going for a nice little church gathering or a church outing or something, they start screaming at you. Get in line! Get in line! Put your heads down! Put your heads down! And so our whole, my whole family and all my kids, they're looking up at me and saying, Dad, what have you done to us? And, and I put my head down. Put your head down! Don't put your head up! And, uh, but I remember the thoughts I was having right in that moment. I was thinking about them. I was thinking, oh boy, how are they taking this? But then it did take me back and to, that, to those days that it must have been like for the Jews when somebody comes in and just takes over. And as a father, that I could do nothing. If these guys, if these Romans, if they wanted to, they could have just grabbed one of my children and hauled them off or my wife or whatever. 
And I would literally, just by brute force, would, there would be no, nothing that I could do. You feel powerless. And you know, I, I <laughs> that day, after we finally got out of there, and you see the birth of Jesus, and they make a big deal about it, but they're still, you know, kind of yelling at you throughout the whole thing, and you leave and finally walk out. And I remember, I remember which son it was, but I picked him up my arms, we're get, going to the car and carrying him in, and he said, Dad, I said, yeah, are we still Jews? <laughs> I said, no, we're not Jews anymore, so don't worry. Uh, this, you know, that, <laughs> that little picture, though, is similar, but really what Jeremiah is talking about is far worse. The Babylonians were cruel. They were worse than the Romans, and, they, and think about it, as a Jew, you couldn't get into a car and escape <laughs> the judgment. And that's what Jeremiah is saying, you're not going to escape. Nobody's going to escape. This is coming. This is a serious warning to every person that's listening to this. They're coming, and he's going to set up. He's going to set up his power here, and you're going to be powerless to do anything about it. Now, there's a serious warning here to the believer and to the non-believer. I think, first of all, to the Christian. To the Christian, your continued sin will bring you into bondage that you were never intended to be under. But to the unbeliever, if, I think there's a picture here as well. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, at any moment, final judgment could come. It could fall on you and you will be powerless to stop it. Look at what God says next to Jeremiah concerning his own people. Verse 16, And I will utter my judgments against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me and have, turned, and have burned incense unto other gods. And, ha- and worshipped the works of their own hands. Notice that it wasn't some political or economic decision that God was most concerned about. It was the moral and spiritual issues that were going on in the nation. That's the real root of the problem. And that's the real root of the problem in our nation too. Forsaking God, burning incense, which is a common worship practice for false gods and then worshiping the works of their own hands we call this idolatry and make no mistake idolatry permeates every part of our world today every single part have you ever stopped to think of the irony of worshiping a god that you've made with your own hands as it says here in this verse we just saw you know later on jeremiah speaks to that irony and that vanity In Jeremiah chapter 10, let me show you a couple of those verses. Jeremiah 10 and verse 3. For the customs of the people are vain, are vain. For one, listen to this, they cut a cut of the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe. Verse 4, they deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born or carried because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither also is it in them to do good. So what he's saying is these unthinking people, you go chop a tree down, you get a branch, you carve it out with your own little axe, and you pop a little silver and gold on it, and then you worship it like it can do something. Like it can, it does evil or it does good. It can do neither. 
It can't even walk around where it wants to go. You have to carry it if you take it somewhere. It's silliness. And yet you worship that. We laugh at that. But consider a huge form of idolatry that we have in America today. Here's how it works. We get as much money as we possibly can to buy a few feet of dirt. Then we put down a few pipes and some concrete and we put some a wood together to make a box on top of that concrete. Then we go to work and we brag about our box on concrete to people everywhere. We ask everyone about their box on concrete. Do you have a box on concrete? We look down on people who rent their box on concrete and everything we do revolves around having a bigger box on concrete. And who cares about being in church on Sunday because I have to care for my box on concrete. And I'll worship God whenever I can, but right now I have to just be there and look at my gorgeous box. I'll sit down and have family devotions later, but right now I'm getting more green paper so I can fix up my box on concrete. I mean, we live our whole life focused on stuff. Our sh- or, or this one might hurt, our shiny metal box on wheels, you know. These things made of wood, these things made of metal have become a, an, an idol to Americans. Now, I know I'm preaching, I'm sorry, That's but good. so did Jeremiah. And let me be clear, God is not against, and I am not against, for sure, enjoying this world, having a house, having a car. I want you to have the best ones you can possibly have. I'm not against having any of that. I'm against that having us. That is idolatry. And every person has a God. Every person has a God. 100%, 100%, 100% of people in this, on this, in this world have a God. Even the people who say, I'm an atheist. No, you have a God. You have a God in your own heart of your own ideals. You've made a God of your own ideals, of your own mind, of your own concepts. Every person has a God. They have given their hearts to something. And at its root, idolatry is a heart issue. It's what you make your life all about. And our human tendency is to make my God something that allows me to do what I want to do. That's the kind of God I like to have. (laughs) He lets me do whatever I want. But Jeremiah was called to shake people out of their idolatry to show the fault lines beneath the surface. And so here's how God instructs Jeremiah, verse 17. Thou therefore gird up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. So Jeremiah, speak the words I give you. But know this, as soon as you do that, you're messing with people's gods. And they won't like it. You mess with someone's box on concrete, you're going to find out what I'm talking about, anybody here. But Jeremiah was just going to have to accept that. You're going to be unpopular. So gird up your loins, which literally means pick up your robe, tuck it in to your belt, which they would do back then. They have the wrong robes. They would have to tie it up, put it into their belt because you're about to get to work or you're about to get to battle. Either one, you have to gird up those loins. It's like when we do pour concrete around here and, uh, you know, all those loving brunettes, they start yelling at you, you know, in love, of course. Get your rubber boots on. You're getting in the mud. Get that thing going, you know, and all that. 
And they're speaking with, you know, gird up your loins, let's go. God's speaking with urgency to Jeremiah, get ready, I've not called you to a comfortable life. I want to go live where it's comfortable. I want to go be where it's comfortable. God says, I did not call you for that, Jeremiah. Do what I say, no matter how countercultural it may be. And this is not, and I think about that for us and all the things we see around us. It really is just not a season for us as Christians to play Christianity. We really just need serious people who are fully committed to God's word. And because we have a life-transforming message to give. It still reaches heart. It still saves people. But it's not a popular message at the outset. But it's the message that God has given us for now. But look, there's a warning to Jeremiah also. Jeremiah, if you do not do what I say, I will confound you before them. And it means, confound means to prostrate or to break down. Listen to this. God's word is so holy, so true, and so connected to who God is that he cannot allow a disobedient prophet to keep rebelling against it without God doing something about it. See, God may have to humble and break down his own servant if he refuses to do what he says. Take Jonah as an example. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. No, thank you. Oh, yes, you're going to go to Nineveh, son. And God will break you down. God will prostrate you. If he has to, he will back you into a corner. And that's what he was telling Jeremiah. Jeremiah, do your job. Do your job. I don't want to have to do the same thing I do to them to you. I love what Matthew Henry said. The best antidote for the fear of man is the fear of God. And notice neither Jeremiah nor anyone else is above the word of God. Jeremiah, you're not above this. You do what I say. You simply submit. I think you know what surprises most people? <clears throat> is that even my opinions aren't above the word of God. I mean, it's, just, it's amazing. Have, have you ever noticed how people's opinions seem to be the, the end all of everything? Uh, don't believe everything you think, as someone has said. All of our lives, we hear that little voice or people telling us, your opinion matters, your opinion matters, your opinion matters. That's not a Bible verse, by the way. Um, you matter, people matter. <laughs> your opinions don't always matter. Again, this is an unpopular message for people, but it is. But God is getting Jeremiah to see that this is going to be your life, son. This is going to be your life. So gird up those loins. Gird up those loins. So to fuel his courage, God gives him these wonderful object lessons in these last few couple verses. Look at this. And this is in the beautiful picture of a pillar, a, a pi- picture of a wall. And it is a sign that God's man is unconquerable. Verses 18 and 19, for behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city and an iron pillar and brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. This is so So amazing. Look at God's foreknowledge, first of all, here. He knows what man will choose to do. He is going to fight against you. So God, already knowing the future, as he always does, gives Jeremiah this pep talk. The most powerful and influential people in the land are going to hate you. The presidents, the priests, the people sitting on the thrones, all them, they're all going to hate you. And they're even going to fight against you. 
but I have made you like an impregnable city with iron pillars fortifying it and brass walls. You know, in those days, there were no brass walls that we know that anybody knows of, but they did have brass gates. They're incredibly strong. So God takes that and says, listen, the whole wall around you will be like brass. You will be like a brass wall and a pillar, which is referring to a huge, strong support beam for those walls. In other words, with me on your side, Jeremiah, you are as strong as you could possibly be. Nothing can prevail against the person who has the Lord. With God, you are always in the majority. You are immortal until the job is done. But let's remember this. And, and I, you know, I, this, this is such a powerful promise of God that God had given to people throughout history. I am with you, and he gives it to us too. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you. I am with you. The world, the world needs people who just simply believe that God is telling the truth. But remember this, Jeremiah was human just like us. And I guarantee, I didn't say it at the moment, although it did write verses above it, Jeremiah didn't feel like a fortified city. He didn't feel like an iron pillar. He felt like a child, he said. I'm a child. But God's word was true. And Jeremiah needed to believe it and act on it. And this is what we need to do with God's word too. Believe it before we feel it. Before we feel it. And as I close, I just want to think about this. The man that said, I am a child, when God called him, proved to be one of the strongest men of God that this world has ever seen. And why? It's because he trusted in these words that the Lord gave him. Do the job. I am with you, Jeremiah. I will be with you. He just trusted that. He believed that. And here's my question for us today. What is going on in your life right now where you need to just trust in the strength of the Lord? You just need to trust that he is with you in this. With God, you're always in the majority. You're always in the majority. Father, we... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.